21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. And I like your background as well. Oh, yeah, thanks. So we went, basically when COVID kicked in, um, I kept coming onto calls where everybody was just absolutely miserable, really bemoaning, you know, the, the good old days of being in there in person. And to be honest, I just thought, how do you see this as an opportunity, right? Like somebody's got to succeed out of this and prosper out of this, so it might as well be us. And it made me really think, you know, if you go back to the turn of the century and you ask people whether you could recreate the magic of theatre virtually, everyone would say it's impossible. No, you can't do it. Frankly, I'd rather watch a movie than go to a play personally. And I, so I, for me, it was more around how do you make that remote experience something that's better than anything a client's ever seen before? So our team invested in the cameras and the lighting and now kind of putting wheels on the desk and all that kind of stuff so that you can you know change your backdrop and environment and uh, think about it more like how you produce a show rather than you know just sitting on a team's meeting or whatever else so uh, but we've had i like toys as well martin so we've had a lot of fun playing with technology the reality now is that there is always there's always going to be some kind of big catastrophic uh, life-changing, business-threatening event that's on the horizon, right? And we've had plenty of time of that now to get used to it, and so I don't think that... Like your traffic yeah, today. <laughs> like the traffic today, yeah. And the rest of the weeks until Yeah, Christmas. exactly, exactly right. And so I think... Um, we're, we're small enough now that I would say our attitude is you can't, the only reason that the macro events would be affecting us is I, I believe if we were a much bigger entity, right? Small team, 15-ish of us kind of globally, uh, you know, we punch above our weight, but the reality is if we're not succeeding in this environment, it's because we haven't been able to find the opportunity that exists, not because it's not out there. If we were a large firm, then sure, all that macro stuff may uh, may affect things. But our mindset is absolutely that our success is within our control. It's just whether or not we're pulling the right levers and focusing on the right things. And you know, I think uh, as I was mentioning with the whole kind of shift to remote thing, switching like everybody else did, all of our operations, all of our delivery into a remote environment was challenging. But frankly, I think it's been an amazing event for us. We've grown faster through COVID than previously and I think you know a five-year-old business now and I think that's because we just embrace change it's kind of in our DNA we all enjoy it we kind of like throwing ourselves at something new we have this motto of 70% trusted in our work 30% new and so we're we never make promises we couldn't keep but we always make sure there's something we're new that we're doing for the first time in every single piece of work that we're doing because that's where the innovation comes from and that's where the the really exciting work comes from and so um yeah i think from my perspective this whole remote thing is a, an opportunity if you're willing to to see it that way um but yeah that's that, that's been kind of one of the one of the things that we focused on over the last couple of years anyway Okay, the innovation, the context, the definition. What do I see as innovation? Yes. 
Uh, I think so many people get themselves wound up about this whole definition of innovation. I think fundamentally innovation is about, from my perspective, solving problems that you've not solved before. And doing that in a way that whether you're, if you want to call that uh, incremental or step change or disruptive, I don't frankly care. And I think there's a lot of organizations that get really tied up in trying to define this and saying this is, this isn't. And actually, I think in reality, what organizations need to do and what we coach them to do is really focus on what are the questions that right now you can't answer that are stopping you from getting you where you need to go. And innovation is the tool set and process that you bring to bear in trying to uncover answers to those existential questions. And sometimes that might be incremental, sometimes it might be bigger. Frankly, I think that's less important than being really clear on, you know, what are the problems we're here to solve? And I think the Williams F1 team have this, a beautiful, beautiful articulation of this. And for them, they have one question that really they use to settle any team debate, whether that's happening on the shop floor or in the boardroom, and that's, will it make the car go faster? And that simple articulation of the problem that they are there to solve means that any person in the organization, again, shop floor through the boardroom, they can internalize the strategy if they understand the problem that they're there to solve. And so you, know, you and I can be sat there talking about an engineering decision. We can hold that uh, innovation challenge up and we can use that to help us troubleshoot through. And so you know, we take that same mindset really when we're coaching clients through how to build that innovation strategy, how to execute on that innovation strategy. What is the question that you can't answer right now that's stopping you from getting where you need to go? And innovation is how you find the answers to that question. So for solving problems, what are the prerequisites? So we need to have a specific mindset. Is, is it getting into a higher level of awareness? Is it jumping uh, into a complete new epistemology? Is it about the specific skill sets? Are there different levels of it? So my background is as a behavioral scientist. So I've got a slightly different take on this. So fundamentally, we look at any challenge as a behavior change challenge. And so uh, I think one of the things that we're doing slightly differently is applying the science of behavior changes is now, you know, really quite mature and bringing it into this kind of meta problem of how do we help organizations uh, embrace innovation and do innovation? How do we help people in organizations do that? And so we see that as ultimately about a behavior change issue. And there's a formula for behavior change that every government in the world uses at the heart of what they're doing to influence policy and everything else. And it's called COMB, which is that for any behavior we want to drive, there are these three necessary prerequisites. Capability, I've got to have the psychological skills or physical skills to do it. Opportunity, I've got to have the systems process, but also the endorsement and support of my peers. And then motivation, I've got to be clear on why I'm doing it, what's in it for me, and I need feedback to help me course correct and know that I'm moving in the right way. And so, you know, we use that lens to help organizations understand, you know, what is it that's missing right now? And where do we need to, uh, where do we need to invest energy in really solving this behavior change puzzle? And there are different kinds of solutions in all of those different categories. But at the core, it's, hey, have people got the skills? And do they have the, uh, the access to the talent that they need? Are there systems and process and support? Is that the strategy and have we got feedback loops to help people know that they're moving in the right direction or, or change course?
I think one of the things that, that we keep hearing uh, when we're speaking with clients is a frustration in the traditional consulting model, which is very much about kind of land and expand. And actually what clients, our clients uh, really value is that they come away from our project smarter. They've learned something new, they have new skills, they've got new ways of thinking, new frameworks, new experiences, new war stories. And so our, uh, we really lean into that and we kind of, we use this motto that we'll, we'll come in, we'll work with you, but we're gonna teach you everything we know as we do it. And we give our clients access to all our materials, everything we train our own internal people on. In fact, most of it is open source right now. You can go and access it um, because we believe it's, it's excellent. And so we want as many people to, to use that as possible. Um, but everything that we're doing is really around helping a client not just navigate that challenge with some expert guidance and support, but we're there to help them do it without us next time. And so all of our projects typically start with us coming in and leading. We call that our sort of done for you approach. So we're going to show you how this works. You're going to have an expert practitioner take you through a problem that you're working on, get you to a great outcome. But then we're going to switch into a done with you model where we're going to be like your co-pilots in that process, but you're going to be doing some of the heavy lifting as well. And then we'll switch finally over a period of time into a do-it-yourself model where you're leading and we're there as your, you know, we you know, we refer to us as kind of your sidekick. We're there behind the scenes to give you support coaching. Uh, so that's, we find that model in really transitioning people into feeling really confident applying our methods uh, just works beautifully well. Like it's it takes time, but it works beautifully well. So let's go from that specific process model. Let's let's call it abstract level to concrete level to an example. So we have, if I understood you well, you na you navigate the challenge, and there is a done for you approach. If if you have an example that can illustrate us the specific the specific model. Yeah, sure. So. An example of that would actually be working with a uh, a global fast food brand. Uh, this is a, a burger chain over in India. Really interesting backstory to that. Maybe we'll get into that. But uh, essentially, this was a, a, a global organization who were looking at driving growth, and they were kind of facing some pretty stiff competition. In the done-for-you approach, we bring in our team, and this is usually a blend of behavioral scientists, design experts, and our job is to kind of build a team with the client where we'll work together on moving through that challenge. And so in that particular example, we've got experts who are going in stores, analyzing consumer behavior, doing observation, really helping them kind of aggregate and pull that data together, but really facilitating them through a series of key decisions. So helping them surface insights about their consumers, helping them kind of work out which of those high leverage decisions that they could be really uh, focusing in on. We can get into a little bit more detail on that but then taking a view on what things they want to do. That's an example of where we'll be working in a kind of done for you model. Next up though, there's a whole series of tools and methods that we've used in order to get them there. In the next phase, what we're doing is really training them on those tools that so they can get out there and apply them themselves without us. And then finally, we'll switch into that kind of coaching approach. So, I mean, in that particular example, really interesting one, if I could go into maybe a little bit more detail about, about, uh, about that example. So, uh, little while back, one of our first consulting projects, we were working with a stadium in the UK called the Etihad Stadium. They had 60,000 fans who would descend on this football stadium and only 30,000 fans could ever get to the front of a queue at halftime to order a beer and a burger. 
we thought this was a really interesting problem. And so we came in, we were observing their CCTV footage, looking at how the queues were forming, creating simulations of this. And we were doing these kind of time and motion studies of the people behind the counter. And essentially what was happening is 60 seconds, you'd get to the front of the queue, you'd look at the menu, you'd kind of place your order, they'd go collect, bring it back. The whole thing's a minute. But there was something like, uh, you know, five or six seconds within that where you would be looking and trying to work out what you wanted to order. We thought this was a really interesting problem. If you could scale up that five, six seconds across thousands thousands of people, suddenly you free up more capacity, right? And so our, uh, our thought was, well, why don't we go and see what the big fast food brands are doing to drive consumer choice in their environments? So we were in McDonald's and Burger King and KFC and really analyzing how were they structuring their retail environment to drive decisions. And we started noticing some really interesting things. We went back into the literature, able to understand the psychological mechanisms of how these brands were influencing consumer choices and behavior, took some of the principles out. I mean, I'll get into some of the detail around that, but essentially there are things you can do to change the way decisions are presented that have a uh, disproportionate impact on what people do. You'd think people would go into a McDonald's and they've got a regular order. The reality is everything in that environment shapes what you are gonna order in that particular moment in a very structured way. So we took those findings back out into the stadium, applied them, their spend per head went up about 8%. Uh, we then got picked up by their American counterparts. We worked with uh, AT&T Stadium, Yankee Stadium, doing the same kind of work, worked beautifully. Um, and in the end, I ended up publishing everything we know on the topic on an article called Why We're Loving It, McDonald's uh, Restaurant of the Future. Uh, this was published by behavioraleconomics.com. Five weeks later, I had an email from one of the directors at McDonald's in India, uh, and you know, we ended up doing a little bit of work with them. So, But the key thing for me in this whole way of looking at it was it really taught me that psychologists can bring a really interesting and undervalued lens when you're looking at business problems. And so what we've then since been doing is taking all those same concepts about what are those influences on human behavior, and that combi model is an example of that, and taking them out into other challenges, whether it's about what, customer, what customers really want, what clients want to sell, how teams work together, how to navigate change. And what we're seeing is that same toolbox is really helping us do new and interesting things in lots of, uh, yeah, lots of different domains. So we work a lot with private equity um, because what we do uh, does have, is very, very measurable. And uh, one of the clients, financial services client, uh, effectively one of the challenges that they had was in their sales force. Lots of people going door to door selling, very, very analog. And they wanted to understand how do you try, how do you get them selling better, right? What is it that they do? And what we noticed when they were going door to door is they were wearing these body cameras for security, for safety. And we noticed this, uh, somebody was walking past in the office and we realized that there was gold in that footage. You know, if I sent out a psychologist to observe you going door to door selling, there's that observer bias. I influence you, you feel, you know, that, that changes your behavior very subtly as well as the person you're selling to. However, in this body camera footage, there's none of that. It's the actual record of what really happened. 
so what we did was we took a hundred videos from a hundred different visits. We decoded essentially what our top performers were doing differently to our bottom performers. So we had a video ethnographer go through code hundreds, you know, a hundred or so videos, looking at what they said, their body language, what they did, how they gestured, how that influenced. And we could create these stark differences between what their top performers were doing and what their bottom performers were maybe doing or not doing. We were then able to take all of those insights back out into that organization, train up the rest of their workforce on the patterns of their best performers. Their sales, I think the spend, uh, the sales revenue per uh, per reps gone up something like 10% in about six months or something like that. So, you know, uh, yeah, very much worthwhile. Very, very much worthwhile. What I think was really interesting, though, in our team is uh, because we have lots of different disciplines, right? So we've got behavioral scientists, video ethnographers, design experts, innovation experts. Uh, everybody has a very different perspective on these challenges. And so our our big problem as a business is how do you wrestle both these uh, very fast processes out of innovation with these slower but really, really incredible processes and methods out of behavioral science and how do you kind of get the best of both worlds? But one of the things that we did when it came to scaling these bindings, these kind of high-performing patterns, we called them the, the HITS, high-income techniques. One of these, the, the keys in scaling these high-income techniques, rather than training, which would have felt this very top-down, mandated, do-it-this-way approach, so we actually took clips from these body cameras and we brought all of their salespeople together and we would play them a clip. And then we would invite them to share what did they notice about what happened? What would they have done differently? And it became this process of, you know, we called it emergent practice, right? Treating everybody on the same level rather than it being high versus low performers, recognizing you bring unique experience and perspective, but really allowing people to share and learn from each other. And as a, as a solo workforce, right, it's very much a lone worker type role. You don't necessarily have that sense of community, but you also don't often have an opportunity to stop and reflect on your own practice. You kind of, right, you get to autopilot. So you end up doing the thing that you always do and the way you do it becomes very intuitive and actually allowing people to stop, pause, reflect on exactly how they're doing things and see how others are doing it and maybe doing it better or getting a different or same result with a different technique. It really shifted that whole focus from being about training to being about positioning this as a community of people who have the ability to share best practice together. And so uh, that particular client actually won the Industries Learning and Development Award as a result of that work. That's a, you know, another, another pretty interesting one. And then, yeah, the, a lot of the projects that we're working on at the moment, I can't, well, maybe I'll discuss some of, but uh, there's a, a mix of weird and wonderful things that we get involved in, that's for sure. And beside those kind of techniques, you have a specific strategies that you use to motivate teams and help them build self-confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And so when it comes to, you know, so many organizations want to drive innovation, a lot of them get hung up on what exactly they, they even mean by innovation. But as I mentioned, we have this framework to help people just kind of make sense of that, right? So at the courts, as I mentioned, it's about, you know, do people have the skills? Have you got access to the kinds of thinking styles that you need to be successful? And, some amazing research that came out of Procter & Gamble. This is about 20 years old now, but it, it still stands. It's been validated with 30,000 teams across the world. And that's for any team to be successful in innovating or solving a complex or novel problem, 
there are these four roles that need to be played within the team. And so you have a generator who's somebody who can, in a situation, sees the opportunity, they see the challenge, they kind of light a fire under whatever needs to be done. They're not that interested in the doing part. It's the getting started that, that they really get their energy from. You then have conceptualizers and conceptualizers are phenomenal at taking a challenge and coming up with five different inventive ways of approaching it. I'm a, you know, that's me, I'm a conceptualizer. Not that interested in doing stuff. The, the joy comes from the idea, not from the activity, which is fine. But then you have a conceptualizer, uh, sorry, not a conceptualizer. You then have an optimizer and an optimizer can take a range of options and work out, hey, let's evaluate what's the best route forward. And the final person in the mix, the final style is the implementer. And they frankly find everything else a little bit fluffy. They just want to make stuff happen. They get their kicks from ticking things off the list and doing. And the, the beautiful thing about that as a model when it comes to understanding what's going wrong in an organization who are trying to innovate is it allows you to understand where do we have gaps, right? If we don't have generators, people that can spot the problems to solve, then teams are working on the wrong stuff and you're going to start seeing things that never get adopted, right? We launch products, but nobody buys them, right? Means a potential symptom that you haven't got the right kind of problem solving style. Similarly, if things aren't delivering the results that you want, it might be you don't have enough conceptualizers in the team or that conceptualizer activity. So each of these different profiles start pointing at possible uh, explanations for some of the symptoms that clients might be seeing in their business. So we still help them understand what is that talent mix. But the beautiful thing for me about that model is, A, it gives everybody a role in an innovation process. You don't need to wake up in the morning feeling like Elon Musk. You could be someone who is detail action oriented and not kind of feel like you're a creative, but you want to make sure you're pairing those people with others who have that preference problem solving style. But all of these are states, not traits. And that means that they can be trained. But to get people trained on this stuff, you've got to get them working on real life challenges. Well, that's our belief. So we, are, we don't call what we do training. It is a learning and development kind of process you know, for this particular part of the business. But we kind of collapse that gap between the, the teaching and the application. So we have them from day one, from minute one, applying these new skills into a live, high value, high profile strategic challenge in that client's organization. And typically what we'll do at the front of this is we'll work with a client to help them articulate, you know, give us the worst problems in the business right now, the stuff that is nobody has been able to, to solve, no one's been able to fix. That's the stuff that we're gonna get teams working on when we'll put these methods to the test. And that first phase, we come in and lead that process. Obviously they've never experienced that way of working before. Broadly follows a design thinking process. Let's get a team aligned on the vision for that challenge. Let's really help them unpack the problems that are the things that are holding them back. And you know what's that number one challenge that would really make the difference? Help them develop ideas, help them prototype, start doing testing, and then running some experiments. So we'll guide them through that first process. And really what we're doing there behind the scenes is building belief in those people that these methods, this different way of working coming out of your comfort zone really does get you to a new and good place. But we also then with the leadership within that organization, make sure that that's highly visible and really celebrated once they get there. So there's this kind of moment of taking people through an experience that's very, very novel, very different, very different ways of working than most people have experienced getting them to a really positive outcome, 
getting that celebration. And then there's that desire to actually learn how to do this stuff themselves. And that's where we'll switch the pattern then into that kind of co-delivery where they're leading some of the methods on, you know, the next challenge they're working on. But I think the, the key thing here is about, you know, show them how to do it with an expert, then kind of be by their side as they're doing it for the first time and then be behind the scenes when they want to do it without you. Um, but along the whole way of that, make sure it's not theoretical, it's practical. They're applying it to live challenges that you know nobody else has been able to tackle within the business. Um, and we've had you know an energy company we've been working with recently who had a, a really interesting scenario where energy companies, right? Like safety's number one value as you as you would hope. And uh, this over time, their sort of safety processes have evolved and grown and grown and grown and grown to become you know, cover for you know, litigious activity. And so as a result, their safety documentation is so dense and so long that people don't read it. And so they don't get the best practice that they need to stay safe. It's this kind of weird contradiction in terms. And so this has been something that over the last 10, 15 years has been going on and on and on. And so obviously results of this or impact of this is this is about whether people get home from work safely. Right. This is this is kind of uh, important stuff. What we were able to do in six weeks was really help a team take that challenge, identify what was really holding their suppliers back in kind of accessing the information they need, prototype new solutions, launch them and start seeing results within just six weeks. And this has been a problem that had been in their business for 10 years. And so it's, you know, once they've seen that and they've had that recognition, their desire to now pick this up and, you know, they want to do it themselves, it's on a whole nother level than if we try to kind of explain it. So it's very much a sort of an experience it type methodology. At the core of what we do, we want to drive client independence from us, which I know sounds illogical from a business perspective because surely you want to have clients that are hooked and dependent what we find is that the more you're teaching your clients to be able to do the things that we do without us what ends up happening is they just escalate you into bigger and more interesting and stimulating problems that and and so uh, we have offerings that are aligned to different functional areas in a business so we have specific processes that apply our methods from a marketing perspective from an after sales from an operations perspective You know, sales, product development, you know, we have carefully crafted and sculpted that process because we understand the needs in those different functions. So typically what happens is we start working with one client in one area, they get great experience, they get start delivering great results. They end up referring us into other parts of the business. And our typical client profile is, you know, 5,000 employees plus, so sort of middle market and, and above. This maybe slightly generous attitude to look if we can try and teach you everything that we know so you can do it without us that is kind of our growth strategy and it, and it works and typically those clients will sometimes bring us back for other work but oftentimes it's more in terms of advice and coaching or you know for my job is to keep a really hungry team here which is comprised of people who have had senior positions in big tech companies but now want a portfolio career or senior academics they just want to work on the most stimulating challenging stuff so, so uh, for us that's kind of win-win because our clients end up having these uh kind of not to be too weird about it but kind of career changing experiences with us where suddenly 
they rediscover their excitement for their work. You know, we see all these challenges as, as adventures. So, you know, for us, it's about bringing that energy and fire into their hardest problems. And so you know, seeing clients transform in that way and uh, find a new avenue or a new way of reflecting on their work, that's extremely satisfying. But they end up becoming huge advocates for us in terms of, you know, introducing us to others within their organization. But at the core, we, we don't hold anything back. We make all of our methods open and available and uh you know we're you know we're, we're very supportive we kind of our motto is the client's the hero we're the sidekick so and i'd i'd absolutely invite you know any of your listeners to go and check out some of our materials they are all free and maybe there's a way we can share a, a link to some of those um but i think that'd be a really interesting thing for people to check out and those are you know 80 percent of the methodologies that we're using you know in our in our work with the, all the examples we talked about today but for us, it's typically about finding a small but meaningful way to get started. And so we have a, an offering which is called Ignition, which is effectively driving change in a week. That's where we'll kind of come in, do something small but meaningful and help people kind of really kickstart something in a team where they're stuck. Maybe it's a new vision, new ambition, and they really need to rally a team behind it. We have an offering called Momentum, which is results in a month, and another which is called Revolution, which is employee-led change in a quarter. And so we work on everything from quick wins to career defining achievements for clients. And it's you know, really about, uh, it's more about the fit with the client and the dynamic. They've got to love what we do and vice versa than, than anything else. If anybody wants to check out our materials, you can visit www.sprintvalley.com. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik.